You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. And remember what a business process is. It's a function of the, uh, if you think of a basic SIPOC methodology as part of Lean Six Sigma, it's the supplier, an input, a processing event, an output, and then a consumer. Hello, everyone. My name is Wayne Eckerson, host of the Secrets of Analytics Leaders podcast, which surfaces the tips, tricks, and techniques of leading practitioners in the data analytics field. Joining me today is Jason Beard, a business executive with deep data experience. Jason has led BI, data governance, master data management, process improvement, business transformation, and ERP projects in a variety of industries, including science and trade publishing, uh, educational technology, consumer goods, banking, investments, and insurance. In his most recent role as VP of Process and Data Management at Wiley, a book publisher, he was responsible for master data setup and governance, process optimization, business continuity planning, and change management for new and emerging business models. For Jason, delivering value through any kind of data or analytics investment starts with understanding business strategy and the optimizing the business processes that create and consume data. He's emphatic that recognizing how information drives your business is job number one of any business executive. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wayne. It's good to be here. So our theme is how to improve data quality through process improvement. So let's just jump in and ask the most basic question facing any data leader out there, which is why is data quality after all these years still an issue? Uh, it's a great question, Wayne, and uh, I think the most obvious uh, dynamic that is contributing to our ongoing issues with data quality is just the fact that there's so much more of it than ever before, uh, which seems like an obvious thing to say, uh, but IBM has estimated that uh, we're currently generating 2.5 quintillion bytes per day of data, and that by 20, in 2016, 90% of the world's data has been created in the previous two years. So that's really exponential growth and creates an environment in which uh, governance and data quality uh, can have a hard time keeping up. So uh, interesting, a lot of that new data that's being generated is coming off of sensors and, and logs and things like that. A lot of that data is pretty repeat, repetitive, right? Is data quality as much an issue for that type of data as the more standard business ERP type data? Oh, probably not as much, but uh, there are always new processes integrating in with that world as well. So the log and sensor data is is obviously working in a pretty defined space, um, but the machines are taking over and it doesn't take much to uh, to change an upstream business process that can create a, uh, an anomaly in the information that's flowing through. In the governance context, uh, we have to obviously focus on those kind of uh, rules up front uh, around how we're going to define the data that we're trying to use in the enterprise. And that still remains uh, where, the, where the bulk of the issue is. But even in the corporate context, um, taking the sensors and the machines out of it, we're generating more data than ever there as well. Um, we're thinking here about usage logs of online platforms, e-commerce streams of data, and diff- different channels that are flowing through apps and other kinds of customer interaction mechanisms constantly. Um, it creates an, an environment in which having standards around that data uh, is an ongoing job and getting harder and harder all the time. Right. So you know, a, a number of years ago, the industry decided that we needed to get control over our master data and hence that 
that uh, gave rise to the whole notion of master data management systems, those also have kind of had a checkered past. Uh, a lot of those projects have failed. Now, you've been in charge of MDM projects as well as data quality projects. So what what is the source of the pain? <laughs> Why are these projects not panning out even though the need is so great? That's a great question uh, because the promise of MDM um, is uh, has been there and uh, it makes so much sense in so many ways. And I think the way we've thought about it traditionally um, has been a, a bit more of a reactive kind of mode. We see these hub and spoke strategies uh, or registry models of MDMs, um, and they work within a certain context. Uh, in my experience, the thing that uh, that is sometimes lacking from those platforms uh, or those programs is a focus on the business process itself. So we're looking at the data as uh, an entity that flows into a place where the rules will make it uh, clean, will make it whole, will make it meet the standards that we've defined. Uh, but then it's constantly a process of refining that and trying to get that to, to meet those goals. Uh, the real work of data governance and data quality, in my opinion, is further upstream in the business process uh, where we find the dynamics, uh, the human dynamics that actually create that data. Trying to solve that problem on the front end is where the real magic happens uh, when we're talking about data quality processes. So technical people and IT really can't fix bad data. It's, it's not really a technical issue as much as it is a business issue. Is that what you're saying? I think so. And they, they can fix it for a while, um, but it's, it's constantly a game of trying to keep up. Um, and ultimately, the sustainable uh, way to achieve data quality results is by understanding those business processes and putting those controls in up front uh, to make sure that what flows down um, is, is is meeting your standards. So I worked for a, uh, I did a consulting project for the uh, security agency up in, well, actually it was the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police up in Canada. And uh, yeah, and they had horrible, horrible data. Um, like 50% of their data they determined was was, was bad. And it was, it was really hurting the ability of, of them to respond uh, quickly and accurately to, to issues it was costing a lot of money. And a lot of the errors came from data entry. And I suspect that when you talk about process improvement, it's all about going right to the source of where the data enters. And a lot of that data is, is still hand entered. So uh, at, at the RCMP um, and, and many police organizations, you know, the police have to enter the data. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, that is, that is a, that's a piss poor process. And they spent millions and millions of dollars on the, uh, the in-car screen, data screens that police officers would use to enter data about, you know, what they just did in, in, uh, for an incident, you know. And when I was up there, they had just come out with a new initiative to make the screen bigger so they couldn't fat finger the data as much. And I'm thinking, that I don't know if that's the real the real solution to this problem because probably police should be focusing on fighting crime instead of entering data and maybe someone else needs to be entering data just like in the healthcare space a lot of doctors now are hiring scribes to do their data entry for them so it, is is this where when you talk about process improvement maybe you can unfold that a little bit for our audience what does that really mean and how much of that goes back to data entry Sure. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and it's those kinds of uh, aha moments in terms of the business process. And, and remember what a business process is. It's a function of the, uh, if you think of a basic SIPOC methodology as part of Lean Six Sigma, it's the supplier, an input, 
a processing event, an output, and then a consumer. Uh, so it's really coming down to uh, what is what are the humans involved in that process and then what are the things that are happening uh, to that information as it moves through the pipeline and then who is ultimately consuming it. So some of those basic process elements can tell you a little bit about uh, about where things are, are falling down. So in your example, um, obviously with the, uh, the supplier in this case uh, uh, is the police officer themselves. And it's a legitimate challenge to say, is that the right place for that work to be happening? Um, it all starts with, uh, for looking at things through this kind of uh, Lean Six Sigma or process uh, improvement pipe uh, uh, lens, it all comes down to understanding the flow of the information through that pipeline to begin with. Um, we use a technique there known as value stream mapping to first identify the key metrics related to the processing of information. Um, and one example from uh, my corporate world here uh, that we're dealing with, have dealt with recently, is how the flow of data through the customer service pipeline works. Same kind of thing. Um, are the people that are keying that data uh, able to focus on the job at hand in the midst of trying to solve a customer's problems? Or can we put better tools in place to intuit some of what needs to be captured as, as a data output as they move through that process. So how long does it take to do this process analysis and, and, and map out these flows before you can actually come up with some kind of recommendation for fixing, you know, my fat finger uh, issue with the policeman or, or the example that you gave? Yeah, well, it, it can be very quick. I mean, these tools are not, uh, sometimes it's a simple thing. And in my experience, just mapping out that process often tells you where the problem is. Uh, and if you're able to capture some key metrics around that, I would venture to guess that in your example, uh, the police officers, if you actually were able to capture the amount of time it's taking them to key that data, uh, it's probably significant. Um, or if it's not, that's what's contributing to the data problem. Either way, we have a shortcoming in the process because uh, it's it's not something, to your point, that that, that, that team should be doing. Um, <clears throat> There are other ways to capture it, just understanding what that flow of information is as it moves through through the information pipeline. Uh, another example I can I can cite is uh, where we're scoring opportunities in the sales rep pipeline and improving sales forecasting. Um, so in, in a case like that, uh, we want to make sure that we're capturing good data about what, what opportunities exist so that we can improve the downstream sales forecasting. A process view of that would say that every um, opportunity, uh, every opportunity analysis or every opportunity that's raised in the CRM system has to uh, accompany a stage at which that is estimated. And that's got to be part of the process. You've got to know that that opportunity has a value um, so that you can capture it at the right point in the process. And ultimately, that becomes part of the forecasting uh, output of that process that is where the real value um, can be delivered. So and, and now we're dealing with salespeople, right? I don't know who's worse about entering data, salespeople or police officers or customer service reps. I mean, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. How do you get around those frontline people whose jobs, I mean, I don't think they're hired to enter data, right? They're hired to do other things. So have you seen any kind of solution to improving data entry quality? Well, I think a lot of it, I mean, another simple example uh, that uh, you know, many companies have invested in is simple address cleansing kind of software. Now, traditionally, uh, in an MDM implementation, you've seen that kind of software perhaps more at the back end of the process where we're cleaning up data according to standards, um, but somewhat after the fact. So in, in the interest of keeping the data moving through the transactional pipeline up front, 
we're not burdening that process with uh, the need to do a lookup of address standards um, at the point of entry of the data. Uh, but that technology is getting better all the time, and it's something that uh, we want to make sure is implemented on the early part of that process so that what comes out the other end is uh, is a better result. Uh, so automation, for sure, uh, better tools, perhaps dedicated teams. Um, another technique that I've seen be successful is where the process uh, dictates that, to your point, there are better people to do a job than the ones who are currently doing it. Um, so one good example of that in the interest of data quality around customer information might be that you have a governance stage gate that every new customer creation um, uh, event has to go through. This is pretty commonplace in regulated industries where there's an additional burden of knowing your customer. Uh, but in many businesses that don't have that regulatory uh, uh, constraint, um, it's, a, it's a newer concept. Um, and so capturing uh, and making sure that that data is linked into the corporate parent that it should belong to early in the process is another way that you can uh, ensure that what you get on the other end of things, especially in the analytical output, meets your needs. Yeah, so there have to be some controls around data entry. It, it can't be a wild west or it turns into a wild west, it turns into data chaos, right? When you map out these business processes, do you also map out the data processes, which can be enormously complex? I remember talking to a, a guy who worked for a high-tech company. He was trying to map out how the data gets from source to target and he you know he showed me this map and it was incredibly convoluted we would call these data pipelines now but they, you know uh you know it would go from a source system into a you know a etl into a spreadsheet back into the etl you know and then get passed by hand to some i mean it's just crazy data processes. Is that part of the process that you do? Well, it can be, and it should be. Uh, but I think that uh, those kinds of, uh, of data flow diagrams and process diagrams, while they have a relationship, they're best treated uh, somewhat separately. Uh, because what you're trying to do in a process is understand how the things get done. And uh, you want to identify, obviously, the, uh, the information inputs that are required for a process step, but also the outputs that would arise from it. Um, you're dealing with that at a little bit of a higher level. Um, the basic mantra is if you get the process right, then the data will follow. Um, and that's really where you're trying to focus on with uh, with the process improvement techniques. Yeah. So so that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, are, when you map out the process, are, are you mapping out the existing process, which might be very convoluted? You certainly don't want to pave the cow paths, right? So do you, you, you map out the existing process, and then do you map out an ideal process as well? That's right. That's exactly what we try to do. Uh, it all starts with the current state analysis, um, and then you're identifying who the key players are. A basic uh, you know, swim lane kind of diagram where you're capturing what the major process steps are. Ideally, capturing some key metrics around each of those process steps, um, the latency between them is often useful as well because then you're able to see where there are lags in the process. Uh, <clears throat> and ultimately what you're trying to do there is just establish accountability around that, uh, that uh, the basic process steps and uh, what information is flowing where and to whom. Um, again, getting back to that SIPOC analysis, supplier input, processing output, and consumer. That's really the foundation of everything you're trying to do with the process. There are other tools as well in that uh, in that toolkit, such as a failure mode effects analysis, uh, which is a way of scoring different kinds of problems that arise within the process. 
to assess what the severity and frequency of those are. Um, and that helps you a little bit to identify where your opportunities are um, to make improvements. Ultimately, it results in a future state process that weighs in the benefits of improving any of those uh, pain points or those uh, issues that you've identified statistically, changing the process in a way that will overcome those, either through better tools or better processing or better training. So so I, I from what you're saying, I, I, I just kind of envision you and, and maybe a small team you know, spending um, you know, maybe not too long, but maybe a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months for a complex process and, and mapping it out and then coming up with all these series of maps <clears throat> and recommendations. That's right. So how do you how do you boil all that down so an executive can understand it and then make the great big leap of saying, yes, let's do this. Let's change everybody's processes. Let's move their cheese so they have no idea, you know, what they're doing. Now, ideally, they have a, a clear idea of what they're doing, and then the process is easier. But we know human nature and 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 you know, company culture, they resist to ch- resist change completely. So it must be kind of terrifying for a uh, for an executive to sign off on something like this. So how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it certainly it can be. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of times uh, the executives are kind of intuitively uh, going there already, and uh, that's why the project happens um, at the outset. Um, you know, remember that process improvement initiatives don't happen in a vacuum, um, and usually it's the executives who are seeking. They know something's wrong, so they're seeking a solution to it, um, and so uh, there's a charter put together to commission that analysis. So it's kind of telling them something they already uh, have a feeling about putting some statistical uh, quantifications around it. And really importantly, Wayne, it's about drawing that picture. Um, Once you visualize what the process is doing, there are things that jump off that sheet that uh, you say, why did we ever think this was going to work or produce good information? Um, And it's amazing how often that can happen. So a picture is worth a thousand words. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they say the best way to get approval for something is to not only just tell them what needs to be done, appeal to the head, but you have to appeal to their emotions and heart, you know, get a visceral response. And a picture is probably a good way to do that. They can look at these things and, and see if they're done properly, see exactly what's wrong and how to fix it, right? And of course, you, you also present the, uh, the clean, efficient process. <laughs> yeah, it always, it always looks much better once you have the uh, once you put that new one together for them. It should anyway. It is a very visual thing. It's uh, a well designed process. It look like a work of art. Interesting. I don't know if you can send us one. Maybe we'll put it up on the website when we publish this. I think people would be interested in seeing that. You've got you've got now the new ideal process. You've got executive backing. Then you have to implement it. Um, what are some of the you know, the pitfalls and the, the best practices for making this new plan, a new process with, with data uh, injected into it, make sure it succeeds. Well, it's really the change management aspect of the whole methodology. And uh, there can be multiple parts of that. Sometimes a process is just changing what existing resources are doing with the existing tools. Uh, but more often than not, it involves uh, also changing the tools uh, or also changing the people. And how do we change the people? Um, it can be additional training. It can be new job roles introduced into a team. Uh, oftentimes, it can also be um, supplementing the technology uh, that they're already using with additional reports, alerts, uh, or, or just information that will inform what they're doing at a certain point in time. 
so it can be a variety of things. It should be a variety of things. Uh, and it really comes down to taking that holistic approach to implementing the change that's needed. Ultimately, it's a it's a human endeavor, and uh, it needs to be uh, needs to be change managed through uh, through that process as such. So you said a lot of these process initiatives get kicked off when the executives know there's something wrong. They're, maybe they're losing money, or they just can't move fast enough to meet the need. Or would you recommend that companies do this before they? Uh, implement any big strategic initiative like a new ERP or a new data warehouse uh, or a new CRM or something like that? Well, for sure, in the ERP example, I would recommend that. In fact, uh, we've recently completed here at Wiley uh, the launch of an order to cash module for SAP, uh, which was a long and uh, uh, somewhat painful endeavor at times, but it all started with a blueprint exercise uh, to understand what the current state of those processes are and design a future state. Now, obviously, in the ERP world, uh, the constraint that you're always faced with a little bit is the fact that the software is designed to work a certain way. So you're really trying to mold your process to what the standardized software will support. And that sometimes creates conflicts. And because there's conflict, sometimes you end up with exceptions to the rules. Um, and then it comes down to uh, just understanding what those what those kind of change impacts are going to be and having having workarounds in place for them. So in an ERP context, I would completely say, yes, that's a, that's an essential part of it. In a data warehouse implementation, I would also argue that it's important. Um, and kind of going back uh, through every data warehouse and BI project I've ever done, you really have to understand, um, A, where the information is coming from, and not just in terms of the systems that feed it, but how it's created. Um, you can't always see all of the problems that are going to occur in an integrated data set just by looking at the data. You have to understand the process that's going to create it as well, who's involved in that, what kind of training they have, uh, what their uh, motivations are, um, and that will ultimately impact on what you're going to see coming out the other end. And I would say the same is true on the, on the consuming side as well. Um, we have to govern not just the inputs, but also the outputs. Otherwise, people, you know, use the same information differently, that isn't really an improvement to the overall data quality picture. So I think you've made a, a really good case here that the reason we still have data quality issues is not because we don't have good data quality software, good MDM software, good technical people. It's really that we haven't spent enough time mapping out our processes and aligning them with the data or, or aligning the data with those processes. That sounds right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned data governance earlier um, and how that was a key contributor to high quality data or the lack of it <laughs> causes poor quality data. Um, maybe we could talk about how data governance, uh, you know, relates to data quality as well as to process improvement. Sure. Well, if you think about what data governance is, Wayne, it's really around establishing data ownership um, or trusteeship around the data, accountability for the data, policies and standards around the data. Ultimately, that's what makes a data governance effort successful is if you can establish those kinds of things for the critical data in your company, all the critical data elements. It's really no different on the process side. For a process to be successful, we have to establish ownership and accountability as well. And I can think of many examples where uh, the processes that have given us the biggest problems are the ones where we have a hard time identifying who actually owns it, who is accountable for that process, who's the decision maker about it, who says here's how it should work or is ultimately accountable for the end result of that process. 
So it's really no different in that sense from the kind of things that we talk about when we're talking about creating accountability for the data. Um, often processes that produce bad data suffer from a lack of ownership, and too often data governance can become only about measuring the data but not actually examining the business process um, that creates it. Um, so we have to make sure that we're looking at both sides of it. So what would you recommend to bring those two disciplines closer together? Well, I think one of the things we're trying to do uh, here at Wiley and that we've tried to do in, in, other, in other places as well is to, when we're mapping out the process, we're thinking about the inputs, the outputs, the processing that occurs. We're also identifying um, in the course of doing that, the owner of that process and by extension, their accountability for the data. Um, I would argue that you can have a nice integrated view of a process that really represents well what the key data is that's produced throughout it and uh, and then establish that ownership as well. There's a visual around that which can really integrate the two concepts nicely. Um, and then you've got your roadmap really for determining how you're going to govern that data going forward. So then should every data governance team have a process manager as part of it, or should every process improvement team have a data governance guy, uh, or should the two be one committee, one uh, discipline? Though the way we've tried to implement it here at Wiley, um, the team that I've led has one is one that has both disciplines under the same roof. Um, and so sometimes they're, they're working in a, in a collaborative way uh, with different orientations, but ultimately there's a lot of crossover between those worlds. And uh, what you're trying to do in terms of diagnosing a, a, a data issue with a critical data element often leads you back to the process route. And you need to commission that analysis then to say, hey, look, I can see this data is not meeting the standards that we've defined. We don't know why or how or where it's going off the rails. We've got to go back upstream to that business process and really dig into it. Uh, conversely, if we're doing a, a process improvement project, uh, part of the uh, rationale for doing so might be that we need to get better information out of the process. So you're going to necessarily, as part of that charter, identify what the uh, standard should be for the data that's produced. There's a couple of examples that I've done here recently at Wiley where we've done exactly that. Um, by improving the process, we have an expectation of better data coming out the other end. And so we're defining new standards uh, as part of that around segmentation of products as an example. We're able to say, here's products that fall into this tier of revenue, this tier of revenue, or a third tier of revenue, um, and then have different process outcomes related to those. Um, so that's an example where uh, by having a process improvement initiative driving uh, data, uh, data, I would say standards, changes to data standards, you're also necessarily embedding governance into it um, and making sure that you have those owners ongoing identified to make sure it's sustainable. So one of the bugaboos with data governance is that they kind of implode on their own weight, right? Uh, companies <laughs> get, executives get religion about treating data as an asset. And then they say, all right, let's start a top-down data governance program. We're going to manage all of our data as assets. And of course, no business person wants to go to a data governance committee. And, and, and you know, without urgency, I guess, uh, a lot of these things just kind of fall by the wayside. It doesn't sound like that's happened uh, for you uh, at Wiley and, and elsewhere. How, how do you do data governance and process improvement so that the business stays engaged and gets stuff done and sees progress and keeps momentum going? Well, it's a great question. Um, and I would say the, the hook, as it were, um, to get them in the door is that you're going to help solve problems that they're facing. I think I would agree with you that nobody wants to join data governance initiative that you know, if they thought their data was perfect already. Uh, or if they weren't experiencing any problems. 
usually there's some kind of a burning platform around these things that leads you down that road. So when we stood up data governance here at Wiley a couple of years ago, a formalized process around data issues management, identifying critical data elements, identifying data owners, you start with that data issues log where everybody puts their their issues onto it. Uh, we identify owners for those, and we conduct root cause analysis around what's causing those problems. Some of that results in a process improvement initiative. Some of it results in uh, uh, perhaps technology enhancement requests that we have to put forward and, and work with our IT colleagues on implementing. Uh, but either way, Wayne, the way that we're getting them to the table is by by showing a path towards solving the problems that are impacting their ability to do business. So do you focus on a specific domain or problem set when you do this, or are you kind of opening up the, the doors to to anything and everything that bothers people about their process or data? Well, the way we've approached it here is to not restrict by domain, although many times you know it comes down to one of two things, either financial controls or revenue generation. And so uh, those are the, the areas and the data elements related to those areas that drive the most attention. So oftentimes that ends up being sales, marketing, and finance who are leading the, leading the charge, if you will, on, on where the problems are. And how high up uh, in the organization do you get attention and you, and you get participation? Well, we've, uh, generally speaking, the, the way that we've structured data governance here is that we've got stewardship committees that are comprised of people really at the manager and director level. Um, they're people who are in the guts of the data day in and day out. So they understand what they're talking about. They're seeing and feeling the pain of, of issues that they're facing, and they know something about where the data comes from, the processes that create it. Uh, so those stewardship groups meet on a monthly basis, and then we have twice-monthly data issues meetings as well um, that are really a, a subset of those groups that are working on specific problems and just checking in on those. Then we have uh, monthly stewardship forums, which uh, will often bring together um, a little higher-level uh, executive to the table um, and status reports around that as well. So it's really a hierarchy. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward kind of thing. Um, it's not rocket science how how those groups could be formed or should be formed. The challenge is in uh, getting them to the table and keeping them there. Well, Jason, this was fascinating. Fascinating look at the underbelly of uh, data quality issues and an introduction to me and probably others out there in the audience to uh, process improvement methodology. So thanks for uh, being here and educating us. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.